This is the Living Vertizano podcast, brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Our episode today focuses on Jesus' prediction of Peter's denial and Jesus' prayer time in the Garden of Gethsemane, found in Matthew 26, 17-30. Together, we will be discussing discerning God's will and aligning our will with His. Hi everybody, I'm Nick. I'm Natasha. I'm Brittany. I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizontal Podcast, and we are excited to be back with you again this week as we continue this journey that we have been on through Matthew. Um, We're still working through Matthew chapter 26. As a quick reminder, last week we worked through um, 26 verses 17 through 30, uh, and in that, we looked at essentially the, the preparation for the, the Passover meal and then a uh, conversation about the impending betrayal um, and then ultimately the uh, institution of the Lord's Supper. Um, and a, as a part of all of that, we discussed uh, seasons of preparation and um Jesus's extension of grace to his enemies and how we are invited uh, into that same lifestyle, that same uh, willingness to offer grace uh, to those who intend us harm. And so this week we're going to be moving on from there uh, and looking at Matthew chapter 26 verses 31 through 46. Um, And with this, we're going to be looking at Jesus predicting Peter's denial, and then also the the scene in Gethsemane where Jesus is spending time in prayer, um, wrestling with what is to come. And so I believe today we have Brittany reading for us. And so Brittany, would you mind reading Matthew 26, uh, 31 through 46? Sure. Matthew 26, 31. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, This very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Then Jesus went into, went with his disciples into a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible... May this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. 
So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. All right. Thank you for reading that for us, Brittany. Um, So let's just jump into a conversation here on this passage. What are we seeing? What's standing out to us? What is it that maybe Jesus is trying to communicate through this passage? So I think the the first thing that sticks out to me is is that Jesus gives the disciples kind of a final account of what is about to take place that that you know they're going to fall away on account of him that he is going to be he, he's going to be killed and then he's going to rise from the dead but he's going to go ahead of them and meet them so there's this like I don't know for me I see this final picture this final time for Jesus to remind them one last time like this is it and even as we see at the concluding portion of the next passage like this is Jesus telling them that the hour has come it's is it's kind of his final attempt to tell them like this is what is to come but i really that that but in verse 32 like it gives me great hope that he's not just, you know, he's not just going to die and they're going to be scattered, but he's going to rise and and he's going to go ahead and be with them again. And so there's there's great hope in the midst of this reality that his death is coming. So for me, that whole verse 31 and verse 32, when Jesus is telling them, you know, you guys are going to fall away. I'm going, you know, they're this, talking about the shepherd and I'm going to go ahead of you I'm you know, when I'm risen and all that they can think that Peter can think about is that first part falling away and he's very confident in, no, that's not going to be what happens. And he's not focused on the events that are going to happen. He's more focused on, well, I'm not going to do that. He's very focused on himself and what he is confident he's not going to do. And Jesus tells him very clearly, you know, actually you really are. Um, and this is how it's going to happen. Since you decided to speak <laughs> up, let me tell you what you're going to do. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and Peter still is so, um, I've, he doesn't have a lot of self-awareness. Um, and, you know, Peter is one of those, he, he's very, he's very strong in his, his opinions and he, he's always willing to speak up and he's very bold. Um, but as we have seen through Matthew, he, Sometimes gets we kind of rag on him a lot because he does those things, but he still is, you know, very self, uh, not self aware of what's going to happen, and I think just really not understanding the severity of what's going to happen. He needed a a strengths finder. (laughs) He needed a strengths to be able to know where he stood. His lack of self awareness. (laughs) I, I would say that with this conversation on like Peter's denial and or the the scattering of all of the disciples. That's the thing that grabbed my attention as well. Um, because I think when, when thinking about this whole like conglomerate of passages, so what we talked about last week, what we're talking about this week, what we're going to talk about next week, um, kind of these couple of chapters right here. Anytime I think of the word like betrayal, or betrayer, like it's immediately Judas that comes to mind, right? Like he is the one 
who betrays Jesus. Um, and so like last week when we were talking about it, like all of the disciples asked essentially, it, it, are, are we the one that's going to betray? Surely not I, right? And Jesus didn't respond to them. And it wasn't until Judas asked that he does respond in this passage in Matthew, um, what verses 17 through, through 30 that we did last week. Um, but I feel like as we walk into the passage this week, it's almost like Jesus continues that conversation that was begun back there where he hits the resume button and says, essentially like, so I only responded to Judas there, but all of you are going to, to scatter. All of you are going to betray me in some way. All of you are going to, to run away in response to what I am about ready to endure. Not that you're going to be the, the cause of what I'm going to endure, but you are going to turn your back on me as a result of what I am enduring. And so you will also betray me. Um, and so that was just something that I feel like has really been at the forefront of my mind as we have worked through these passages this time through for me is this realization that Jesus, yes, singled out Judas at the Last Supper, but he's not necessarily singling out Judas all in all. Like, he is he is being brutally honest with them and where they are going to find themselves. Because in our passage for today, he singles out Peter for his denial. And so I guess with that, it, it was it's just this realization that, I mean, these are the 12 men who spent years with Jesus. Hours of every day, the majority of every day. And the majority of every day of every year for those three years with Jesus. And yet when they come to this time, they fall away. And so I, I guess it's just this, this uh, like wake up call that just because you are in the inner circle or you're in the inner group or you have like this tight connection with Jesus at one point in time doesn't mean that that tight connection will always be something that defines you. You will have choices to make every moment of every day. Um, and just like the disciples had a choice to make when the, his betrayers came and they made their choices. Um, but at the same time, as you bring up Derek, like verse 32, there is a, but that is said. And so there is hope in the midst of that betrayal, which is a good thing for, for them and for us. Um, but just, I feel like there's also this big warning that, hey, if the 12 disciples weren't uh, free of their propensity to betray Christ, we probably ought to also be on the lookout for that within ourselves. So, Nick, when you were talking about, when you, you know, talk about the 12 disciples, that they were actually with him, you know, they saw, they saw everything. They saw mm -hmm. the healings. They saw the miracles. And you would think if the man that you have seen over and over and over, do these miracles. If he tells you, you're going to betray me, I would probably be like, oh, really? Wow. Like, okay. 
<laughs> what do I got to do to try to not do that? But yeah, but that's not Peter's response. And I, I think about like things that I feel like God has told me or and my response has been no, or yeah, you've got it wrong. Or, you know, when I have this negative self thoughts and I know who I am in Jesus, but I still allow that to come into my mind. Am I doing the exact same thing that Peter's doing? Am I telling Jesus, you actually don't know what you're talking about? I think it's interesting that Peter calls back to the the first portion with the the falling away. And as Jesus progresses, it's not like just that Peter falls away into some kind of sin. He he talks about Peter disowning him, which would seem, at least on the surface to us, like that's worse than just falling into sin. Like uh not not that I mean, we measure sin. Not that any sin's worse than another, but it would just seem on the surface, like looking at it from a humanistic perspective. I imagine if I was Peter, like falling away is one thing. Disowning the very person that I've followed for three years seems to be much, much weightier. And and yet, you know, he's still as as you pointed out, Brittany, he's not really not really aware and like seems to think more highly of himself than not that not that God doesn't think highly of him, not that Jesus doesn't think highly of him, but he seems to be like, Oh, I got this. I can do this. I'm, I'm not going, I'm not going to disown you. Like no matter what it costs me, I'm not going to, to disown you. And like, as we move into like this next portion, it almost seems like a lack, like we talked about a lot about preparation in in the previous chapter and earlier in this chapter about preparation. And it seems like as prepared as being with, even though they've been with Jesus for all this time, it seems like they're still not fully prepared the way that Jesus would want them to be. And it seems almost as we move into like this Gethsemane portion that there's almost Jesus like calling attention to their lack of being able to fully prepare in the way that he would desire for them to. Well, and I would, I would tag on to that. Like <clears throat> we have pointed out numerous times that we pick on Peter a lot and Peter definitely is the one who speaks up. But fortunately, Matthew gives us the ability to say it's not just Peter this time right. because in closing before the Gethsemane scene, it says all the other disciples said the same thing. So like all of them find themselves in this place of either confidence or arrogance. We're not really sure. Like, right what what their heart is but where they they think more highly of themselves than it would seem like they ought to right. because we know what's going to come so i think as as we consider this we know we know the type of messiah that these disciples are expecting and that's a political and militant messiah that's coming in and is going to overthrow the roman government uh, so the, this guy is going to be a conqueror he's going to be a king like david was right and he's going to um just essentially free israel from this this oppressive nation that really they've been been under for some time now and really it's prior to that, it really was just a cycle of occupation for them. And so they've been under this type of oppression or occupation for, for a very long time. And so they're looking for a militant king and they're all believing that this is who the Messiah is. And so I think it's one thing for Peter 
or the other disciples for that matter, to run in and zealously say, I, I will I will die fighting alongside of you. Before I would betray you. Right. And and I think the the but this this thing that Jesus is talking about, which we're gonna see fleshed out a little bit more as we move further into conversations in the coming weeks, he's talking about really a pacifism from a militant perspective that is is essentially just standing there and saying, I'm willingly subjecting myself to execution. And that's not something that is on the radar for these disciples. It's not something that's on the radar for anybody who's looking to the Messiah mm. um, and the coming King. And so I think I think when Peter is making this statement, this this bold statement, he's ready to go to war and fight alongside this Messiah because he believes, right, that as long as he's fighting along the Messiah, alongside the Messiah, like he's willing to put himself in harm's way and he might die. But to stand back and say, no, 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 I will stand next to you as we willingly die is a whole nother conversation. You even just saying that right now as I was thinking about it, made me before you started I said you know they they were operating from a place of confidence or arrogance we're not really sure although it does seem like they think more highly of themselves when I think about it in that context I think it becomes clear that it's a position of arrogance or it, it would if that is the case it would be a position of arrogance because as you think about war and fighting in this way if we carry that understanding of the Messiah all the way through that he is a conquering king, that means he will conquer and be king, then ultimately his reign will be. And so the battles that lead up to this are going to be battles of glory. And so even if I die, I live on because there's going to be glory surrounding my sacrifice. So if I'm Peter and I am ready to go to war and I am ready to die in war, I'm recognizing that there's some glory tied to that. He would become one of the heroes of old. Right. Yeah. But you flip that coin and start talking about what you were about this passivism, about this laying down my life, not in the heat of battle, but in the forum of, of the courtroom. And now it's like the glory's gone. There's no more honor. It's just death. And that's not very appealing anymore. And I don't know that I can get with that. And so maybe you begin to, to see how they can make the claim that they're willing to die. But then just moments later, we see them scatter. So after this conversation that Jesus has with kind of Peter being singled out, but clearly with all the other disciples, because they apparently are in one accord with what Peter is proclaiming here. Um, they go specifically to Gethsemane, um, which is still a part of the Mount of Olives. Like they're, they're on the Mount of Olives. Um, but uh, scholars would say that this is, was like a, a specific place on the lower part of the Mount of Olives where there would have been an olive press. Um, so uh, a, a place that is known. Um, but they, they go here specifically for Jesus to have 
as we're going to see, this time of prayer and to invite his disciples into it, specifically Peter, James, and John, into this opportunity for prayer. And not that the rest of them are neglected from it. They're invited to pray as well, but he takes Peter, James, and John a little further into this um, as a means of, of just maybe inviting them into seeing his encountering with his father. So I, I see this um, kind of as a callback to Matthew 16, uh, verse 24. And so verse 16, 24, this is uh, Jesus talking to the disciples previously. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And I feel like this is Jesus living out what he's calling the, dis- the, the disciples to to take up their cross, to deny themselves. He, he's going before the Father um, to, you know, try to see if there's another way. Like, is there something else we can do? And But if there's not, like, I want your will to be done. Mm-hmm. So I feel like as he's going, as he continues to go and approach the Father, this is his opportunity to ask Peter, James, and John to join him in this time of preparation um, Jesus is getting ready to carry a cross that is going to carry carry the sin for humanity, and he's going to go before go before God, and, and he's just going before Him and and trying to see if there's another way, but wanting God to have His way, and he's inviting the disciples to do the same, or these particular three, Peter, James, and John, and so I think. As always, Jesus leads by example. He's giving them the opportunity to to partner in, to carry their cross, to deny themselves. And so I think that's why I think there's this level of comfort for Peter, James, and John. Because they've had so much proximity to Jesus, there's this level of comfort with Jesus. And they become, I guess, they've not heard his words fully, and they have fallen asleep as he's called them. He's given them this opportunity to join in, but not only to join in, to prepare for what's about to come. Mm -hmm. And in the midst of that call, they fall asleep. And I feel like I can identify with where the disciples are. Like I get this level of comfort with Jesus and it becomes easy to fall asleep. Mm. And he's not asking me to carry the weight of all the sin. He's asking me to deny myself, pick up my cross, and follow him. He's asking them to do the same thing, and they're struggling with their cross. And yet, he is carrying the weight of all humanity, and he is denying himself and going, willingly going to fulfill the will of the Father. I think the, the really incredible part about this is oftentimes those in places of authority will make rules or regulations or stipulations for those under them that they have to follow that the person in authority doesn't necessarily follow. And yet, as you already pointed out by going back to Matthew 16, like Jesus has called his disciples to deny themselves and pick up their cross. And then he is setting the example right here where he is modeling what it looks like to deny himself and literally pick up his cross. And I I think 
for me, this exchange that Jesus has with his father in the, the three different times that he goes back to him in, in prayer are eye-opening because oftentimes I think about Jesus in the context of his divinity. And so like Jesus is God. And so when I think about what Jesus came and accomplished on earth, it was the forgiveness of forgiveness of sins and the reconciliation of the world back to himself. And so I think about it in those specific and explicit concepts. And, and I think I ignore the human denial that had to take place in the life of Christ. Sure. It like Jesus as divine accomplished all of these things, but there was still this fight for faith that even he as God worked through because in his first prayer, it was, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Like he very clearly says, this is what my will is. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to be hung on a cross and whipped and beat. Isn't there any other way? But then concludes it with, but not my will, yours be done. And then when he comes back, the prayer changes and he says, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. So it's almost like I want to be careful not to put words in Jesus's mouth, but it's like the first prayer is father, this is my will. Can that work? And then the second prayer is, okay, I see that your will is the perfect will. So will you help my will come in line with your will? Like it's this, it, it, it truly is this like human meets the divine and, and comes together in one in that moment. And I think for, for us, for me, this is an important process for me to see because I believe that Jesus being fully human, facing every temptation that we face, had the opportunity and the choice that even in the midst of these prayers, he could have gotten up and decided not to go. It was within his ability to do that. And so for Jesus in this moment, it was, it was a fight for faith where he had to say, I do not want my will to be done. I want the father's will to be done. And it sounds painful and I really don't want that. So father, will you help my will become your will? He had a choice and he chose to continue to walk in obedience with his father as he had done his entire life. I find it interesting, though, that, you know, his his answer changed from or his response in prayer changed from the first time to the second time. But in the middle of that, like he went back to his disciples who were asleep. And like like you said, like God is sovereign. And so I don't want to, like, imply that he's not, but it's awfully interesting to me that three of these guys that have been with him for, you know, this whole, whole ministry, presumably, you know, strong followers there, he's gone for an hour, come back and they're already asleep. Maybe there's in this midst, I'm not God, obviously I don't have it all figured out, but maybe in the midst of this, he's like, yeah, God, I, I can see why, like I can see some of the why, <laughs> Like they can't do this without yeah. more. And the only way that they get more is if I go. Like mm-hmm. I can see, like I can see 
the, the weakness that they have. And I recognize that your plan matters, like your will matters more than my desire. And so everything that he asks us to do, like it's all like worked out in just in this scenario, like listening, like responding obediently and and continuing to repeat that pattern. And by doing so, by listening and responding and going back, he sees them in their moment of weakness and recognizes there's got to be more. Like there's got to be more that I can do by going to the cross. The advocate will come. The helper will come. They will have not just me with them. They'll have me in them. So I think in all of this conversation, as we look at Jesus's model for how to deal with situations in which our will does not align perfectly with the father's and and we we've we've struggled with this we've wrestled with it and we've come to this conclusion that our will is not consistent with his and i think when we reach that place jesus gives us this perfect model of what it looks like to pray through we often hear people talking about how you you know you have you have this need you have this burden you have this fight you have this battle and so we're going to pray through this right and it's not a praying necessarily until he resolves it in the way that we desire but it's a praying until we achieve unity with the father's will and this is a difficult thing i think even for for people who have journeyed with God for a really long time to to grab hold of, um, and I guess so. I guess my question that I'm left with and that I'm wrestling with, and taking from listening listening to dis- the discussion here, is in my moments of battle. What is my what is my go-to solution? Do I run from God? Do I get angry with God? Do I start to ignore God? Do I declare that God isn't real? What is my response? Or might my response look something more like Jesus's, where I'm willing to sit in relationship with him, broken, recognizing that what I want doesn't fit with what he wants or at least what he's doing in so much as I can see or I can understand in this moment. And so what is, what is my response? How do I spend those moments of battle? And then I think I have to look at, um, the reality that Jesus comes with this, this want and this ask and this desire of his father and God says no. And I don't think we like to talk about this very much. This is, these aren't the success stories. They're not the happy stories. And oftentimes we even like try to, I don't know, put frosting on them and sprinkles and make them sound good. Like somehow God is, is answering our prayer in a way that's different than what we expected, but they're still healed, you know? And 
so I think we try, we try to minimalize this reality that there are times that our desires do not match his. And when God says no, are we willing to stand there and say, okay, then help me to want what you want. Mm -hmm. I think of uh, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they're in the flames, right? And they're declaring with all their faith that God will do this thing, and they believe it with all their heart. And we know the ending of the story, right? And God delivers them, and it's a miracle. But before they get to that point, not knowing God's will, they say, but even if you say no, even if he doesn't save us, he is still God. And I think that's the place that's really hard to get to. And we watch Jesus in this process for how to get there. Hmm. It's, it's a fight for faith. Jesus had to fight. He was inviting his disciples to fight in a different way than they thought they were going to be fighting, but he invited them to fight for faith. And every day, for us, it's a fight for faith. To believe that Jesus can and then be resolved to say, but even if he doesn't, he's still got Be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about the church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.